0: Have you found Psalm 115? All right. Here's the word of Almighty God. Not to us, O Lord, not to us, but to your name give glory. For the sake of your steadfast love and your faithfulness. Why should the nations say, where is their God? Our God is in the heavens. He does all that he pleases. Their idols are silver and gold, the work of human hands. They have mouths, but do not speak, eyes, but do not see. They have ears, but do not hear, noses, but do not smell. They have hands, but do not feel, feet, but do not walk, and they do not make a sound in their throat. Those who make them become like them. So do all who trust in them. O Israel, trust in the Lord. He is their help and their shield. O house of Aaron, trust in the Lord. He is their help and their shield. You who fear the Lord, trust in the Lord. He is their help and their shield. The Lord has remembered us. He will bless us. He will bless the house of Israel. He will bless the house of Aaron. He will bless those who fear the Lord, both the small and the great. May the Lord give you increase, you and your children. May you be blessed by the Lord who made heaven and earth. The heavens are the Lord's heavens. But the earth he has given to the children of man the dead do not praise the lord nor do any who go down into silence but we will bless the lord from this time forth and forevermore praise the lord heavenly father as we open your word i pray that you will add your blessing to our reading and our study of your word god encourage challenge convict save do all the things that you would do by your spirit and I pray, Lord, that you will simply do mighty, mighty works in the lives of your people. Let us be glad that we were in the presence of God, in the Word of God this day. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You can be seated. I don't know if you guys are like me, but I find it interesting whenever in the regular culture you get an allusion, an allusion to a biblical story or phrase. Right, like like if you hear a sportscaster refer to a matchup of a big school and a small school as a real David and Goliath battle, right? Or, you know, even today, there's a relatively famous rock song right now that talks about having a traitorous disposition as being a Judas. Maybe you'll hear of someone say that a thought of theirs that was rejected was like having cast pearls before a swine. That is said still today. One Bible word that is pretty much universally known is the word hallelujah. Right? You hear it used by faithful Christians, and you hear it in the mouth of a devout atheist. But that word is a word that should only fit the vocabulary of the faithful. After all, the Hebrew Hallel means to praise. The ending of the word is adding in a form of Yahweh, the name of the Lord. Hallelujah. Literally, it means praise Yahweh. Praise the Lord. Psalm 115 is part of a collection of psalms often referred to as the Egyptian Hallel. They're often sung in the Bible in connection with the Jewish Passover meal, which, of course, is a celebration of the Lord rescuing Israel from Egypt. We're praising God for getting us out of Egypt, the Egyptian Hallel. This was, of course, that was back in the days of Moses. Every one of the Psalms in the Egyptian Hallel in this section of the Psalms uh, has the word Hallelujah in it somewhere. Scholars also link these psalms to the time of the dedication of the second temple in Jerusalem. They got very popular then. They were used a lot then. That was around 515 BC. By the time of Jesus' earthly ministry, Psalm 115 was likely the psalm that faithful Jews sang just after partaking of the Passover meal. Thus, the psalm we just read is very possibly... The song that the disciples and Jesus sang before going to the Mount of Olives on the night of Jesus' betrayal. But what do the exodus and the dedication of the second temple have in common? They're both events that are tied to times when Israel had been challenged and mocked and persecuted by foreign powers. Worshippers of idols mocked the people of God, but God delivered his people, and God demonstrated that God is, in fact, the only true God. Well, today, you might see some ways this could apply. We live in a world where following the Lord and his ways is becoming less and less popular in our culture, where godless people mock the faith. So maybe we can find hope and joy and comfort and courage in a song from the Egyptian Hallel, a song that pronounces praise to the Lord, a psalm that sees God as the one true God above all false religions. So as we study this morning, I want you to get ready to find five points of application. We're going to find reasons to say hallelujah. We're going to find reasons to find hope in and praise the one true God. So point number one, give glory only to God. Give glory only to God. Look with me at verses one through three. Not to us, O Lord, not to us, but to your name give glory for the sake of your steadfast love ...and your faithfulness. Why should the nation say, where is their God? Our God is in the heavens. He does all that he pleases. Those who know the word of God... ...and who understand the God of the word... ...know that the glory of God... ...is the driving purpose behind all that happens in all of life. God created this world. Why? Why? For his glory. God formed humanity in his image. Why? For his glory. God promised salvation to mankind. Why? For his glory. Jesus lived, died, and rose again. Why? For God's glory. And God will wrap up all of human history, judging the damned and graciously keeping the, save, the saved for the sake of Of God's glory. The centrality of the glory of God is a good thing for us to understand. You see, if we understand that we were created for the glory of God, we can deduce that there is nothing in the entire universe that will satisfy our souls other than the glory of God. Just illustrating it. How many of you own cars that use gasoline? Okay, I know a couple of you don't, but bless your hearts. Now, what does that car want in order to go? It wants gasoline. Will Kool-Aid accomplish the task? No. You might be able to put 100% pure grain alcohol in the tank and have it run for a minute, But what's going to make the car go? It's gasoline, right? If your soul was created to run on joy from the glory of God, what's going to make it go? It's glorifying God. Nothing will satisfy your soul other than the glory of God. So when we are allowed by God to honor His name in any way, we are being granted by God the privilege of doing what will give our souls the deepest possible joy. Now, we'll put some theology words aside. Let me ask you one simple question. Children, you can answer this question with me. Do you want to be happy? I think you do, right? We like being happy. How many of you like being sad? No, we like being happy. Do you want joy? Yeah! Do you want to be fulfilled? Then here's what you do. Here's what you do. You do the thing that God made you for, and that will make your soul have joy. And what's the thing God made you for? God created you to give God glory. And if you try, if you seek to give God glory in the way that God has designed you, God will fill your soul with lasting joy. Now, perhaps the psalmist knew what I just told you. As he opens the song, he starts with a weird little double repeated negative. Not to us, no, please, not to us, Lord. Not to us what? Not to us, but to your name, Lord, give glory. The psalmist uses the name of God here, Yahweh, and he says that it is this name, not any other name, that is worthy of receiving glory. Now, when we speak about the name of God, when we use the name Yahweh in the Bible, we are speaking of everything that is involved in a true grasp of everything that God is. God's person, his character, his identity, his eternal qualities, all of those are bound up in his name. God's name is who God is. And God's name, who God is, is worthy of all the glory. Now, why is God worthy of glory? We praise God here in that that first line, first verse. Because of his steadfast love, his chesed. Yeah, that. And we praise him for his faithfulness. God is faithful. God is true. God is a covenant-making, covenant-keeping God. God is never not what God is in truth. God is consistently absolutely perfect. Now, does that sound redundant to you? God is what God is. Well, duh, right? But think about yourself for a second, how many times have you behaved in a way that you feel like is not really like you? Have any of you guys ever behaved in a way that you were like, ah, eh, that's not really me? Yeah. How many times have words fallen out of your mouth that you then had to say, I didn't mean that? How many times have your circumstances, your fatigue, Your hormones influenced you to act in a way that is in contradiction to what you want people to think you are. Have you ever done that? Oh, yeah. That's never the case with God. He is the Lord. He's the Holy One. He's full of steadfast love and faithfulness. He is always true to who he is. He is, as he introduced himself to Moses... I am who I am. Then verse 2 asks, Why would the nations say, mocking the people of God, Where is their God? Maybe that's an echo of the Egyptians before God freed the Hebrews from their land. Maybe it's an echo of the surrounding nations before the Jews returned from Babylon and resettled in Jerusalem. Bottom line is, those who don't know the Lord love to be snarky and take cheap shots. When they don't understand God's hidden hand and sovereign plan. But verse 3 reminds us why no glory goes to man. And why all is for the Lord. Verse 3 says our God is in the heavens. He does all that he pleases. In comparison to the false gods of Egypt or Babylon or Assyria or Persia. The true God Yahweh. He is in the heavens. That's really important by the way to think that through. Other religions the religions of the Canaanites, they relegated their gods to particular locations. There were gods thought to be the gods in this part of the sea, or gods of these plains over here, or the gods over certain mountains. But there was no god over the ancient religion who was the single, singular, true god of the heavens over all the earth, beyond all boundaries. There was no god like that. And most certainly, none of the false gods of the peoples can do everything they please. Only the Lord is truly almighty, unstoppable, unchangeable, undefeatable. Only the Lord is holy. So as we open this song of praise, that's what it is, we learn some big time truths. God is in the heavens. God is above all. God does all. All. That he pleases. He is completely sovereign. Nobody stops God. Nobody beats him. Nobody holds him back. Nobody can tell him. Oh you're not allowed to do that. Our God has all authority. Our God is above. Over all. Our God is the only one worthy of glory. So. You start thinking about you for a second now. What do you make much of. What do you praise? Do you seek glory for yourself? Listen to the psalm. Not to us. Not to you, not to me. Not to us be the glory. No, give glory only to God. Because he is full of steadfast love, he's faithful, he's true, he's above all, he's mighty, he's totally sovereign. Then, our second point. Guard against foolish idols. Guard against foolish idols. I'm going to read for us 4 to 8. It's glorious to have scripture tell us who God is and what God's like. But it's also frustrating when we see the peoples of the world mock and reject God. Verse 2 alluded to the fact that the nations around Israel were asking, where is their God? Whenever the people of God were suffering hardship, the enemies of God were gloating. Well, the psalmist turns our attention to just what it is that the peoples of the other nations worship. They don't know God. They worship idols. You know, an idol could be made of many different materials, shaped in many different ways, intended for many different kinds of worship. Some idols were small, just to help remind people of some sort of being they imagined was over their land. Some might be gigantic. Some are made of wood. Others are made of precious metals, stone. Some might be shaped like a recognizable animal or a person. Others might be grotesque shapes of lewd or monstrous imagination. While Israel was to worship the one true God, the real God, the God over the heavens, the nations around them worshipped false gods represented by man-made statues. Often the nations, they treated the statues like they were living things. A priest would set the idol up in the morning and if the idol was metal, the priest might polish its face to make it extra shiny. You know... You guys know that temples always faced the east, right? Why? When the sunlight fell on the idol in the morning, it shined and it looked like the face was glowing. They would say, oh, our God is smiling on us. See the light. (coughs) Offerings of food would be burned to feed the false god because it needed to be fed. And sometimes the priests would then carry the idol to bed at night and tuck it in. The psalmist gives us multiple parallel statements to show us the impotence of the idols of the nations. These statues, they, maybe they were silver, maybe they were gold. They were the craftsmanship of human hands. They lack life. Look at verses 5 to 7. The idols have mouths, eyes, ears, noses, hands, and feet, but they cannot speak, see, hear, smell, feel, or walk. They can't even grunt. They can't make a noise in their throat. They are nothing. They are toys. They are dolls. They are folly. Isaiah talks about idols with great realism, deep scorn. Just read Isaiah 44 someday. The prophet there will talk about the idiocy of somebody. I got a piece of wood. I've got three uses for it. I'm going to burn part of this wood to cook my dinner because I need a fire for my dinner. I'm going to burn part of this wood to heat my home because it's chilly, but I've got a third of the wood left. I know what I'll do with it. I'm going to take it. I'm going to carve it into the shape of a person and then I'm going to bow down to it and say it's a God. You read something almost identical in form and fierceness in Jeremiah chapter 10. Give you a little taste of that one from Jeremiah 10, 3 to 8. Jeremiah says, "For the customs of the peoples are vanity a tree from the forest is cut down and worked with an axe by the hands of a craftsman. They decorate it with silver and gold. They fasten it with hammer and nails so that it cannot move. Just pause for a second. Their God had to be nailed down so it didn't fall over. It says their idols are like scarecrows in a cucumber field and they cannot speak. They have to be carried for they cannot walk. Then he says this, do not be afraid of them, for they cannot do evil, neither is it in them to do good. Then the, then I, Jeremiah stops and says, there is none like you, O Lord. You are great, your name is great in might. Who, uh, who would not fear you, O king of the nations? For this is your due, for among all the wise ones of the nations and in all their kingdoms there is none like you. And it says they, the idol worshippers. they are both stupid and foolish The instruction of idols is but wood. Idolatry, think about it this way, friends. Idolatry is self-deceit. It is to turn one's back on the real God for the sake of nonsense. In verse 8 of our psalm, We see the result of idolatry. Those who make idols become like them. So do all who trust in them. What do we say about idols? They're lifeless, they're dead, they're dumb. Those who make idols become lifeless, dead, and dumb. Those who worship idols become as empty as the idols themselves. And for the Israelite... That's encouraging, right? It reminds the Israelite, we worship the true God while the nations who mock us are bowing down to and worshiping harmless toys. And I would say that in our world today, there's encouragement in knowing that Scripture reveals to us the one true God. At the same time, there's warning. Watch out for foolish idols, now I'm guessing that you are not likely to bow down to a statue. Not even your crazy neighbor is likely to be worshipping a statue. Though Some of you have those neighbors. But all people face the temptation to turn their backs on the Creator and to worship false ideas or the things that the Creator has created. Think with me about Romans chapter 1. It says mankind is notorious for ignoring the one true God. And as mankind turns away from worshiping the one true God, if God's judgment begins to fall, mankind continues to embrace all sorts of evils as God gives mankind over to our own folly. Those who turn their backs on God to embrace idols, whether statues or godless thinking, will become as foolish and as lifeless as the idols they embrace. Just listen to the word of God. Just listen and hear how embracing an idol, whether of thought or physical idol, leads you to be like the dead idol. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images revealing mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. Therefore, God gave them up in the lusts of their hearts to impurity, to to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves, because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator, who is blessed forever. Amen. but give approval to those who practice them. That's Romans 1, 18 through 32. Do you hear there how the embrace of idolatry, including the embrace of godless thinking, makes you become dead and empty like the idol you embrace? Before we move on, Ask the Lord to warn you about where in your heart you might be tempted to embrace an idol. Where do you run from God to embrace something less than God? Where do you ignore God to try to determine your own reality? And it's not always the big things. What hobby, what fun thing, What pleasure will, if you do not guard yourself, become more than it should be in your heart? Where are you tempted to live a life of unreality, denying truth for the joy of your own imagination? Ask the Lord to help you tear down and destroy any idols in your heart and take steps to guard against anything that might capture your affections And take the place of God. Third point. Trust in the Lord. Look at verses 9 to 11. You tell me if you can see where the point comes from. O Israel, trust in the Lord. He is their help and their shield. O house of Aaron, trust in the Lord. He is their help and their shield. You who fear the Lord, trust in the Lord. He is their help and their shield. Here in the central section of the psalm, we get a little call and response. We name the people of God, we call them to trust in the Lord, and we speak over them the truth of who God is. The parallel subjects here. Who's supposed to trust God? Israel, house of Aaron, those who fear the Lord. It's a sort of all-encompassing call on the nation, the priests. Look, anybody truly devoted to the Lord. And as the names are called... The instruction is given three times. Trust in the Lord. Don't look to idols. Don't question reality. Don't glorify self. Trust in the Lord. And with each call to trust in the Lord, we have a sort of antiphonal response. Someone says, trust in the Lord. And somebody else says, he is their help and their shield. Why trust the Lord? He helps his people. Why trust the Lord? He shields and shelters his people. Even when the nations are out there mocking and raging against those who follow God, God never stops being the real help and the true shield for his people. To the Old Testament Jew who read this psalm, especially somebody facing a hard world, the reminder is three times repeated. Trust in the Lord. He's good. He's faithful. He's true. He's your help. He's your shield. What about for us today? God has called on all people, not just the descendants of Abraham, but all people to trust Him. The Lord has come to this earth to save the souls of every person who trusts in Him. God the Father sent Jesus, God the Son, to live, die, and rise to accomplish the salvation of all who will trust Him. So the call, trust in the Lord, Has become the command, believe in Jesus. The outcome for the Jew in the Old Testament was God will be your help and your shield and he'll protect you. For the one who trusts in Jesus, the outcome is salvation, forgiveness of sins, eternal life. You want God to be your help? You want life with God? You want God's forgiveness? Trust in the Lord. You need to know, if you've never trusted in the Lord, you need to know that you have sinned in front of a perfect and just God. That's terrifying. Me too, by the way. Know that God is willing to forgive everyone who will come to Jesus in faith so as to get under his grace. So, let go of the concept of being the master of your own life. You're not the boss. Surrender to Jesus. Run to Jesus and just throw yourself on his mercy. Believe that Jesus lived the perfect life that you cannot live. Believe that Jesus died as a sacrifice, paying the penalty for your sins. Believe that Jesus came out of the grave on the third day and he's alive right now. Ask Jesus, oh Jesus, please forgive me my sins. Entrust your very eternity in Jesus to Jesus because of what he's done. And as the psalm says, God is the help and the shield for those who trust in him. We know that Jesus is the savior for all who come to him. Jesus will save the soul and change the lives of all who trust in him for salvation. And all who trust in Jesus for salvation are going to be changed by God, learning to love and obey God out of the highest joy. When I told our young ones, you want to be happy? Glorify God. The only way you can find joy in the glory of God, the only way you can be what God made you to be is first... For you to ask Jesus, Lord Jesus, please save me and be my master. Fourth point, pray for God's blessing. Pray for God's blessing. Let me read to you 12 and 13 first. It says, the Lord has remembered us. He will bless us. He will bless the house of Israel. He will bless the house of Aaron. He will bless those who fear the Lord, both the small and the great. This really echoes that trust in the Lord call from the last section. The psalmist says that the Lord has remembered his people. God did not forget them. He didn't leave them hanging. God's going to bless Israel, the house of Aaron, those who fear him, right? Same three groups from 9 to 11. But I want to draw our attention to a point of note at the end of verse 13. God will bless those who fear the Lord, both the small and the great. God's blessing is not just for the big time important folks. God's blessing is not just for the rich, the powerful. The blessing of God is for everyone who will fear Him. That means that anybody who sees the greatness of God, who trembles at the glory of God, who reverences God, who runs to God for mercy, anyone who does those things will have the mercy of God and thanks be to God no societal measure you can think of will prevent anybody from receiving the blessing of God. Small or great, smart or dumb, rich or poor, healthy or sickly, woman or man, child or adult, anybody. Who will run to the Lord in the Lord's way will be blessed. But then verses 15 or verses 14 and 15 say, "May the Lord give you increase you and your children. May you be blessed by the Lord who made heaven and earth. There's the speaking of a blessing over the people, right? You run to God, you get blessed, and now we speak the blessing of those of God on those who who trust Him, who fear Him. The call is, God, give them increase. Give blessing to the ones under your care. Reminds me a lot of the blessing that Aaron was supposed to pronounce over Israel, right? In Numbers 6, 24 to 26. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make His face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up His countenance upon you and give you peace. The world around you may not understand. They might mock God. They might doubt God's presence. But for you who know the Lord, seek His blessing. Pray for it. Ask God to bless other people you know. Ask God to increase the parts of our lives that can increase to His glory. Ask God to shelter us from the things that would harm us or bring dishonor to His name. Y'all know... We live in a world of foul mouths and cursing tongues. You see it a lot, don't you? Wouldn't it be good at least for Christians to become a people who are known known for seeking and speaking blessing? I am relatively tired of cranky mean-spirited Christianity. you probably should be too. Now when I say that you should speak more blessing, I'm not suggesting that if you say good things, it manifests into the universe. I'm not doing weird spiritualism or superstition. We talked about that in our Q&A panel and if you missed it, you shouldn't have. It was lovely. But it is a truth that the people of God who love God the most should be the people quickest to speak the blessing of God on others. Think about, I don't know, the ending of nearly every letter Paul wrote. May the grace and peace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Do you notice he always ends with something like that? But let me ask you, how often do you actually sincerely say, God bless you? May God bless you. May the grace of God be upon you. We should be a more blessing people. We should pray for blessing and be a blessing people. Last point. Praise the Lord while you live. Look at 16 to 18. The heavens are the Lord's heavens, but the earth he has given to the children of man. The dead do not praise the Lord, nor do any who go down into silence, but we will bless the Lord from this time forth and forevermore. Praise the Lord. The Psalms closing up here. And now we get to a point toward praise. God is over all things. We know that. God owns the universe. We know that. But. God has, from the Garden of Eden, called on mankind to rule the earth as God's representative, right? That's why God called on Adam to be fruitful, to multiply, to fill the earth, to subdue it. Adam, of course, failed. Who will do it? Jesus. Verse 17, though, is one you really need to pay attention to and be careful with because you could misrepresent God and reality if you, if you take 17 out of context. When the psalmist says what he says in 17, he's not making any claim about the afterlife. He's not pretending there's no afterlife. He's not thinking that people die and are simply no more. The book of Revelation shows us very clearly saints in heaven praising the Lord. The point is the psalmist wants living people to praise God while they've got breath in their lungs. Because only living people are singing the praises of God here on earth once they die once they're in the presence of God maybe they're singing songs of praise in the presence of God in fact i believe the bible shows us that they are but their songs of praise on earth cease until they get resurrection bodies and then verse 18 ties everything together and we've got a resounding call here yes god is over all things and he's the only one worthy of glory as we saw in verses 1 through 3 yes the idols of the nations are nothing. We saw that in verses 4 to 8. Yes, those who trust the Lord have him as their help and their shield, as we saw in 9 to 11. Yes, we should seek and hope in the blessing of God on his people, even as we become people who speak the blessing of God on others, as we saw in verses 12 to 15. And yes, The living on earth are supposed to praise the Lord because bodies in the graves don't sing on earth. We saw that in verses 16 and 17. So then what do we do? What is the conclusion? Verse 18 declares, but we will bless the Lord from this time forth and forevermore praise the Lord. By the way, that praise the Lord at the end, you know what Hebrew word that is? That is your hallelujah. Hallelujah. And here's the end of the matter. If you're breathing, just real quick, how many of you are still breathing? It seems to me that fewer of you are than should be. (laughs) Drew was holding his breath. I just heard it. (laughs) Smart Alec. If you are breathing, you have a responsibility to praise the Lord and the Lord alone. If you've not gotten under the Lord's grace by trusting in Jesus Christ as your Savior, that is the first step for you. You cannot glorify God any other way than first running to Jesus. But if you know Jesus, your life should parallel this psalm. Give glory only to God. Guard against foolish idols. Trust in the Lord. Pray for God's blessing. Praise the Lord while you live. Let's pray together, friends. Lord God, I'm so grateful for your word and I'm grateful for the call to praise and I would ask you, Lord, help us to be a people who praise you. Help us to be a people who seek your face. Lord, I'll I'll go back through it with us. First, God, I pray Help us to give glory to you and you alone. You know our lives and you can examine where we are focused on, devoted to, glorifying things that are not you. But you're the only one. Not to us, O Lord, but to your name, give glory. And God, I pray that you will help us to understand, to, to honestly look and see and realize what are our idols. Examine my heart right now, dear Lord. And I pray, God, that you will show me where do I embrace falsehood? Where do I embrace the creation above the creator? Where do I embrace my setting myself up as autonomous? God, whatever my idol may be, whatever our idols may be, would you destroy them that we might give glory only to you and that we might not become like the dead idol? I pray, Lord, that you will help us to trust in you. For some people here today, that should mean that they stop trusting in self, they stop fighting against you, And that they run to Jesus saying, Lord Jesus, please save me. I pray, Lord, that somebody even now would surrender themselves to you because you've enlivened their hearts. But for Christians, I pray that they will trust in you, knowing you to be our help and our shield. God, I pray for your blessing on our church. We're supposed to be praying for blessing and seeking your blessing. God, bless this church. God, bless these people. God, bless our families. And God, I pray that you will make us far, far quicker to speak blessing than curse. And God, I pray that we will praise you as long as we live. Give us breath. Give us voices. Give us opportunity that we might speak and sing your praise faithfully to the day you bring us home. That's our prayer in Jesus' holy name. Amen.